Welcome, church family. Uh, it's good to see everybody. This uh, I apologize ahead of time. I'm not a tech person. We're going with the iPad today. My notes uh, exceeded the amount of papers that I wanted to have up here. And so we're going with this instead. Um, but it's good to see you all here today. Um, we were going to, let me just kind of start with this. We were going to have our member presentation service today. Uh, we had a whole other group of people that went through our membership class. We're excited to present them to the rest of the church body, pray for them, acknowledge their commitment to this church family. Um, we do have several that are out today, so we decided to just move that to a day that more of them can be a part of it at the same time. And so, uh, so because of that, we're going to jump right into the word today. Um, I do want to just share something with you. I was, I'm, in, I'm in a little bit of trouble uh, with my spouse this morning. Um, I had this really sweet idea for a sermon illustration this morning. Um, it involved this particular gift that she gave me uh, several, a couple years ago. And I was going to share it with you guys, and it was going to be great. And then when I went to find it, I couldn't find it. And so uh, I know I have it. I just can't find it. Um, but what that thing was, that gift was, uh, was a journal. Um, it was a journal that she gave me on the day that we got married. Um, and inside the journal um, is a bunch of different prayer entries for us that began on the day that she knew that we were going to get married, um, which was way before I knew we were going to get married. Um, but it was, a, it was just a really neat gift um, of prayers for just me, for the both of us, for our future, for the present, um, just to show that she wanted our marriage to be centered on on God and on praying with him. And I cherish the journal, whether it seems like it or not, given that I can't find it. Um, but I do cherish it. And, it. and the reason is because of the words that are in it. The words carry value. The words have meaning. And I think all of us would agree with that, right? Whether we've heard that statement when we were younger that says, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's not entirely true, right? Like words, they, they matter. They have value. They have significance, right? Some words, for example, carry a deep emotional significance, right? Like a, a love letter that maybe some of you have held on to, or like for me, a journal, or, or even like my favorite words at this season of my life is when my one-year-old says, daddy. That's my favorite word in existence right now. Um, other words aren't as positive. They have a negative emotional appeal to us. Perhaps you remember back to uh, maybe the last words that a loved one said before they passed away. Or, or maybe you've heard or someone in your family has heard the, the awful words that I hope no one has to hear. The, the doctor saying it's cancer, right? Some words can be hurtful. Some words can be sad. Other words are, are different. They carry authority, right? Different levels of authority with them, right? For example, when a parent says, go to your room or you're grounded. Or if a police officer says you have the right to remain silent, right? Those words carry authority when they're spoken. Other words have a very clear meaning, uh, like, you know, this shirt is teal. I guess that's not actually as clear as I thought. Uh, in my notes, I wrote it planning to wear a red shirt. Um, but other, you know, other uh, words have a less clear meaning. For example, can you turn the air down, right? To some people, that means make it hotter. To to correct people, that means make it colder, um, but it's a little bit less clear. Um, some words have different meanings to different people. For example, when I tell my wife I'm going to be ready in five minutes, usually means I'm going to be ready in five minutes. Right? When my wife, on the other hand, says she'll be ready in five minutes, well, you get the idea. Um, but you can see how words, they mean a lot of things, and we in this Life are getting bombarded by words from every angle, uh, from news stations, from social media, from friends, from family, from all sorts of Netflix and TV shows and movies and music and all sorts of different things. More now than at any point, the, the exchange of words is way easier at this point in history than it has been at any other point in history, which leaves us with a very important question of which words are we supposed to listen to? And to what weight do we hold the different words that we hear in our life? Um, I have at least four things that I think can be helpful to, to, to help us know which words carry the most value. 
Um, the first thing is which words are, are given with the greatest authority, uh, right? When someone has an authority over your life, you're more likely to listen to the words that they say, right? And you probably should, right? I would say that if your boss tells you to do something, you probably should do that thing, right? Um, whereas if someone that you've never met before comes up and gives you a command, right, maybe, you know, take a pause as to what they're actually saying, right? Because they don't have any authority over your life. Right? But not just, you know, the authority they have on your life, also just the personal relationship that you have as well, right? The, the more deeply, uh, the more deep of a personal relationship that you have with someone, the more likely and the more you probably should listen to the things they say, right? I'm sure you've got people in your life that are close enough that they, you know, gave you a no questions asked favor or asked you for a favor, no questions asked, right? You would you'd probably do it, right? There's some people in your life that your relationship's personal enough that you would do it without thinking about it because of the relationship you have with them, right? So the authority someone might have, the deepness of the relationship you might have. What about also how, how true the words are that are being spoken, right? The more true the words are, the, the more you should probably listen to those words. Not just whether or not they're true, but what about whether or not they're good, right? The, the better the words are, the better you ought to respond as well. And so the authority, the, the deepness of relationship, the truthfulness, the, the goodness of words are all factors that, that I, I believe, and we're going to see in just a moment, that, that give us reason to want to, to hold those words that, that have all those things at the highest degree, that we give them the highest weight to, to our attention, to our, our practicing of them, to our memorizing of them, to our, our sharing of them, our listening to them. All right, so we're going to see that in in just a moment, we're going to dive into all those different things. But, but all this kind of to say and to set up, we're continuing in a study that we started last week called Back to Basics. That's what that little video was, was just to get us back in the focus of this study that we're going to be in for six more weeks. We've got five more messages on this study, but we'll break at one point or another in the middle of it. And uh, last week we talked about how the mission matters most, more than anything. The mission matters most. And the rest of these core values or these basic building blocks of Christianity, of the church, are in support of the mission that matters most. And so today, uh, that core value that we're going to look at is being rooted in Scripture. Being rooted in Scripture. And, and, and those words that are contained within it. And so as we dive in, let me... Just first pray, and then we're going to kind of look at it in four different parts. So if you would, take a moment uh, to pray with me. God, we love you. Uh, Lord, we love that we can communicate our words to you and know that you hear us. Um, we're thankful, God, that you have spoken your words to us as well. And I just pray, Lord, that as we look at your word today, uh, that you would make it clear to us. You allow us to feel your presence. You allow us to feel the the weight of the words that you speak to us, the, the truthfulness of them, the intimacy of them, the goodness of them, the authority of them, and that we would leave with a deep commitment to know what it is that you're trying to communicate to us, how you're trying to communicate to us, and a sense of, of what that even means for our life individually and collectively as a church family. God, I pray in these next next few moments together that you'd reveal yourself in a powerful way to us. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We just expect to hear from you and, and to feel you move and that your will would be done in these next moments. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. What I want to do, and this is a little bit different than how I normally like to teach or preach, is instead of normally if you've heard me for any amount of time, you know what I like to do is take a particular passage of Scripture and just teach on that one passage of Scripture, right? Last week we looked at uh, Matthew 28, 16 through 20, just four verses, and we just really dove deep into those four verses. Right? We spent 17 weeks in 1 Corinthians, right? We spent, uh, I think, like 36 weeks in Acts, not that long ago. I like just taking a chunk and looking at it up really close with a magnifying glass. Um, today what we're going to do is a little bit different. We're going to um, look at God's word, kind of zoomed out, if you will. And I already mentioned it, we're talking about being rooted in Scripture. That's our second core value. 
but I want to look at what the Bible as a whole says about the Bible. And so instead of taking one verse about Scripture, we're going to look at Scripture uh, through the lens of all of Scripture, if that makes sense. So, so this first point that we're going to look at, I'm just calling it God's Word through the Word. And if you are, I'm just going to preface it with this. If you are a note taker, it is going to be challenging to take notes in these next few minutes because we are going to fly from Genesis all the way through the early church. Um, and if you're a note taker, no, and, and if you have our, uh, if you're signed up for our e-news, I'm going to kind of put all these scripture references in our e-news that goes out tomorrow. So don't feel like you got to write them out or you're missing them because um, I'm going to go really fast. And the point's not to skip over things, um, but it's just to show thematically uh, what God says about his word over the history of scripture. And so, so bear with me. We're going to go very quickly. Um, and we're going to start in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. The very first verse, really the first three verses of scripture. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, says this. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And then over the next several days of the account of the, of, of the creation story, we see all things come into existence by the words of our Creator. All things culminating in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 27 with you and I. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God, created them male and female. And so God's words not only created all things that exist in the entirety of the universe, but they also create and give life to you and I. The very life that Pastor Brett said we should be thankful to God for as we sit in our pews today is the very life that God spoke with his words into existence. Now, let me just say, God didn't have to use words to create you and I, but he chose to, to speak and to use words to form our life into existence. And if you continue on, Genesis chapter 2, his words don't just create all things, they don't just give life, but in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, it says, the Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. And the Lord God commanded or said to the man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. And so not only do God's words give us life in the first place, but God's words also teach us how to sustain life, right? Not just how to, to be alive, but how to stay alive, right? That's what his commands were doing is teaching them how not to die, right? If you eat from that tree, you will certainly die, right? And so his words give life, his words sustain life. And then in Genesis chapter 3, just another chapter later, we have another account where we see the first temptation come into the world. The serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, and hear this, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? How does the first temptation come into the world? It comes by way of questioning God's words, right? The words that created all things, you and I, that exist to sustain life. The enemy comes and questions their meaning, thus offering temptation to you and I. And how do we respond to such temptation? Genesis chapter 3, just the next two verses. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. Now, if you read closely there, Eve added a little something to what God actually said. Right, what God actually said was you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right? Eve adds you must not touch it or you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. And so clearly she, didn't, she either didn't hear God's word correctly, which she probably heard it from Adam, or she just chose to, to go kind of her own way. But the first sin, either way you put it, the first sin came by way of not knowing the words of God 
and by disobeying the words of God. And so just in the first three chapters, we see that God's word creates all things, including you and I, creates the standard of right and wrong, goodness and evil. And then when it's questioned and disobeyed, sin enters into God's perfect world. But church, that's just the beginning. You then have the flood. You then have people scattering and speaking different language, all because they didn't uh, listen to and obey the word of God. And then in Genesis chapter 12, God speaks to Abraham and Abraham listens, thus kind of starting or launching God's people into, uh, into existence. And then in Exodus, God speaks to Moses and Moses listens to God. And God then leads his people out of Egypt, goes, Moses then goes up onto a mountain and receives what? He receives the word of God, the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 12. And this then leads, Exodus chapter 24, verse 3, Moses then came and told the people all the commands or words of the Lord and all the ordinances. Then all the people responded with a single voice. We will do everything that the Lord has commanded or spoken. Right? And so, so God's people, and from, really from this moment on, because right, what's happened is Moses heard the words of the Lord and then proclaimed the words of the Lord over the people, to which the people said, we are committing to listen and hear the words of the Lord, the words of God. And so from this moment on, for thousands of years, people have gathered, just like we're doing this morning, to hear the words of God. Not the words of a pastor or a man, but God's words spoken from Scripture over you and I. And then in Deuteronomy, continuing through the history of the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, it says, Now Israel, listen to the statutes and ordinances, the words I am teaching you to follow so that you may live. Now, Israel, listen to the statutes and ordinances I am teaching you to follow so you may live, enter, and take possession of the land the Lord or the, the God of your ancestors is giving you. You must not add anything to what I command or take anything away from it so that you may keep the commands of the Lord. That's it. Just God's word and God's word only. And then if you skip down a few verses later, verse 5 says, Look, I have taught you statutes and ordinances. As the Lord my God has commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to possess. Carefully follow them, for this will show your wisdom and understanding in the eyes of the peoples. <clears throat> when they hear about all these statutes, they will say, <clears throat> This great nation is indeed a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that a God near to it, as the Lord our God is to us, whenever we call to him? And what great nation has righteous statutes and ordinances or words like this entire law I set before you today? You see this church. What is the primary identifier of God's people? That they are able to hear his words and that they obey his words. And that the thing that the surrounding nations or or people who aren't God's people ought to see about them first is that they've been given words from a God that are good and that they hold fast to. God speaks to them and they listen, which is why it goes on to say in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9, these words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. Church, they put the word everywhere. They literally put the word everywhere. Right? When they, they, there's a, it says, you know, write God's word on the top of your heart. They used to literally have necklaces that have a little mini scroll on it that they would write down God's word so that they could just pull it out and read it throughout the day. Right? They were all about God's word. That was their only purpose, to know God's word, to obey God's word. But were the people doing that? No, which led to sinfulness and wickedness among God's people. Just like in Genesis chapter 3, we continue to see that when you choose to disobey God's word, bad things happen. Not to God, he, he, we, can't, we can't negatively affect or hurt God, but for us, for God's people, 
So what does God do? He raises up prophets to do what? To speak the word of God to people. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. It says, The boy Samuel served the Lord in Eli's presence. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare, and prophetic visions were not widespread. Right? People were not listening to the word of God. And so jumping down a couple, a couple verses, 1 Samuel 3, 21, it says, The Lord God continued to appear in Shiloh because there he revealed himself to Samuel. How? By his word. God spoke his word to Samuel, and then Samuel spoke his word to God's people. But once again, did God's people listen to the prophets? No. And so God's people once again continued to fall into a vicious cycle of sin. But they did have moments, moments of good. For example, in 2 Chronicles 34, 14 through 15, we see a story of a king named King Josiah. Listen to this. It says, verses 14 through 15 of 2 Chronicles 34, when they brought out the silver that had been deposited in the Lord's temple, the priest Hilkiah found the book of the law of the Lord written by the hands of Moses. Consequently, Hilkiah told the court secretary, Shaphan, I have found the book of the law in the Lord's temple. And he gave the book to Shaphan. And a little bit later, it says, the, then the court secretary, Shaphan, told the king, King Josiah, the priest Hilkiah gave me a book, and Shaphan read from it in the presence of the king. When the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. Then he commanded many of the leaders. He said, go and inquire of the Lord for me and for those remaining in Israel and Judah concerning the words of the book that was found. For great is the Lord's wrath that is poured out on us because our ancestors have not kept the word of the Lord in order to do everything in this book. And so what King Josiah then does, they, they find this book that had literally been lost because they had rejected God's word so much that over generations they didn't even have the words anymore. They find them in a temple and King Josiah, one, repents and acknowledges that the reason that they're struggling as a nation is because they've ignored God's word. And so what does he do? He gathers God's people and begins reading aloud the words of God and God's people see great prosperity. Everything hinges on whether or not we obey God's word. Let me give one final example in the Old Testament. After Josiah, uh, once again, people turn from God's word and, and Jerusalem and the, and the temple end up destroyed and, and the people were in exile. But God brings his people back to rebuild the temple. And guess what the first thing they do is? Well, listen to this in Nehemiah chapter 8. The first eight verses it says, All the people gathered together at the square in front of the water gate. They asked the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had given Israel. And on the first day of the 17th month, the priest Ezra brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding. While he was facing the square in front of the water gate, he read out of it from daybreak until noon. Before the men, the women, and those who could understand, all the people listened attentively. Then skipping forward a little bit more, well, listen to this. It says, Ezra opened the book in full view of all the people since he was elevated above everyone. And listen to this. All he's done is open the book. And it says, as he opened it, all the people stood up. Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and with their hands uplifted, all the people said, Amen. Amen. Then they knelt low and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. They read out of the book of the Lord of God, translating and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was read. Prior to even reading it, all they did was open it in front of all of God's people. And God's people recognizing what was contained in those pages was more than just ink on, on paper. It was God's very speaking to them, and they respond by saying, Amen, Amen, which literally means, let it be so. Let it be so. And they kneel down and praise God that he would care to even speak to his people. Church, we've just looked at centuries of history of God's creation all the way, all the way centuries on. And again, the mark of his people is their hearing of his word and their 
obeying of his word. God's words create life, they sustain life, and they give meaning to our life. And we've only gone through the Old Testament and not even all of it. What happens when we turn the pages to the New Testament? Well, John 1.1 kicks it off for us. He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And skipping down a little bit more, it gives very clear definition as to who this Word is. It says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus now comes into this world to be God's word, God's communication to his people who had lost their way over and over and over again by disobeying God's words. And in Mark 1, 38 through 39, Jesus tells us that he didn't just come as the word of God, but he told us what he came to do. It says, and he said to them, let us go on to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. And then he says, this is why I have come. Jesus coming as God's word to preach God's word to God's people. That is why Jesus came. And then to, to live his life, to die on a cross for those who have disobeyed God's word, but all who believe in him and his words spoken will be saved. He then raises from the grave, ascends into heaven, and sends the Holy Spirit down to fill those who have believed. And when the Holy Spirit comes down, what is the first thing God's people do? They speak the word of God. They speak the word of God. And so let's look at how that affects the early church. Acts 2, 41 right after Peter preaches the first message, having been filled with the Holy Spirit, preaching God's word, it says those who accepted his message or accepted his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. But then what is the church? The, the church is formed around God's word, but then what does it continue to be built on? Acts 2.42, which is what this whole series is around, Acts 2.42 through 47. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They're devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the word of God. And just continuing at the history of this church, Acts 4.4, many of those who heard the message or the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. Acts chapter 6, verse 7. So the word of God spread. The disciples in Jerusalem increasingly great, or increased greatly in number, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. Acts chapter 8, verse 4. So those who were scattered went on their way, preaching the word. Acts 10, 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message or heard the word. Acts 12, 24, but the word of God spread and multiplied. Acts 13, 48 through 49, when the Gentiles heard this, they rejoiced and honored the word of the Lord. And all who had been appointed to eternal life believed the word of the Lord spread through the whole region. Acts 18, verse 11, he stayed there, he being Paul, there being Corinth. He stayed there a year and a half, doing what? Teaching the word of God for a year and a half, 18 months. Then Acts 19, just a chapter later, Paul's now in Ephesus and says this took place for two years, him being in Ephesus, so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord. Then Acts 19, verse 20, in this way the word of the Lord spread and prevailed. And then last passage I'll read. And, and check this out. Acts chapter 20, verses 7 through 12. On the first day of the week, we assembled to break bread. Paul spoke to them. And since he was about to depart the next day, he kept on talking till midnight. Paul was sharing the word of God until midnight. How many would stay if we just kept on preaching till midnight this morning? Tempted to find out, right? But what happens? There were many lamps in the room upstairs where we were assembled and a young man named Eutychus was sitting on a windowsill and sank into a deep sleep as Paul kept on talking or proclaiming the word. When he was overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was picked up dead. Right? If Paul probably should have taken the hint, right? He preached so late into the night that someone actually died from his preaching. This is an encouraging passage for me, right? 
But what happens next? Paul goes down, bends over him, embraces him, says, don't be alarmed because he's alive. So Paul raises him from the dead. And then what does Paul go right back on doing? Preaching the word. Church, since the creation of the world, you and I and and all the way through the, the existence of the church, God's words have been at the center, knowing them and obeying them. And as a church, we've kind of recognized this, this clear theme throughout the history of, uh, of creation. We've kind of coined it as our core values rooted in Scripture. We want to be rooted in God's Word because clearly everything that we try to do as believers or that we try to do as a church hinges on our hearing of his word and our obeying of his word. And so I want to do, we just went through a lot of scripture uh, and a lot of the Bible. And what I want to do now is I want to kind of turn inward, turn our focus a little inward to kind of ask one, you know, we say rooted in scripture. Hopefully you've gotten the idea this morning We're talking about the word of God. It's been important forever. It's going to continue to be important forever. It's the only thing that is important. And what I want to do is I want to ask three kind of questions to close our time. I'm going to go through them briefly. The first question is, what does it mean to be rooted in Scripture? We say that, but what does that even actually mean? Um, Why should we be rooted in Scripture? Which we've definitely just talked a lot about, but I'll add a couple more thoughts to that. And then lastly, how? Can we be rooted in Scripture? I want every person to leave here understanding the importance of what it is and how they can engage in it. And so let's start with what does it even mean to be rooted in Scripture? What do we mean when we say that? Right, you won't find the phrase rooted in Scripture in Scripture, um, but it's the best way we can summarize what God has asked us to do, asked us to interact with his word. And so what I want to do to kind of explain this is, we're going to overkill the, the rooted uh, illustration for just a moment uh, so much that we're going to take a step back to sixth grade science. Um, and so we're going to see who really paid attention back in the day. Um, roots, I don't know if you know this, roots have four primary functions as they serve the plant body, as a part of the plant body. Right? And I think there's things we can learn from that, and that's why we've chosen to use the word rooted. In scripture. The first purpose or function that a root has is it absorbs water and minerals. Absorbs water and minerals. Right? Water and minerals provide life to the plant. Right? And God's word provides life to his people. And we absorb him through his word. Right? It's how we intake God's presence. It's how he communicates himself to you and I. And so we, he breathes his presence out through his word, and we read it. We're effectively breathing it in. Right? That's how we grow in our relationship with him. We absorb him in that way. He gives us life in that way. 1 Timothy 4.15 says, Paul's sharing to Timothy, and he's referring in reference to his word. He says, practice these things. He says, immerse or absorb yourself in them. Uh, We should totally immerse ourselves in God's word. That's the first thing we see. The second function of a root, it anchors the plant body, right? And God's word ought to anchor his people in the midst of trials and temptations and conflicting words. As I said, we started off our time together. We have never been in a time in history where we have more access to anybody's words around the world than we do right now. And so how do we know that we're not going to just get tossed to and fro by the wind to follow this belief or, or this political uh, you know, news station or, or this Twitter account or, or, or what this TV show thinks or whatever else the world's trying to say is the right belief or the wrong belief? How do we know where to stand? Right? Because we're rooted in Scripture. Scripture is the thing that keeps us grounded so that when we're given all these different ideas and thoughts and words, we know what's true and we know what's right. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. That's what God's word does for his people. It anchors us 
keeping us firm and secure. The third thing, uh, root, third function of a root, it stores minerals and nutrients. We store God's word for times of need. We store it in our hearts. One of my favorite stories, there was a, uh, there was a book called The Heavenly Man by a guy named Brother Yoon. He was an uh, underground church pastor in China hundreds of years ago. And, well, not quite 100 years, 100 years ago or so. And he, um, at the time when he came to faith, the Bible was illegal in China. And so he would, he almost never, it was years into his life that he actually even saw a full put together Chinese Bible. Um, he only would ever get like pieces, pages ripped out. Uh, he'd get like a gospel track here and there, but he never had the whole thing. And even when he did, he never knew how long he was going to have it. And so what he would do is he would immediately, upon getting scripture, he would memorize as much of it as he possibly could. He tells a story about how he gets uh, a book that had five chapters in it. And there's five members of his family, and each member of the family was tasked with memorizing one chapter so that when they didn't have it anymore, they could together recite the whole chapter, the whole book of that particular, the whole particular book of, Bible, book of the Bible, because they didn't know how long they were going to have it, right? And while you and I may not face that same reality, right, we're not always going to be faced with a situation where we can just immediately pop up our phones or whatever, we can say, hey, what's a verse for exactly what I'm going through, right? We store it in our heart, right? So that even if we're not consciously thinking of the verse word for word, right, it keeps us from sinning and it keeps us in line with what God would have us do, right? Psalm 119.11, I've stored your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And then the last function of a root, uh, it transfers minerals and nutrients to other parts of the plant body. And likewise, we don't just absorb God's word and anchor ourselves with God's word and store it within our own hearts, right? We share God's word. We share with other parts of the body. We share with one another. And we also share with those who are not yet part of the body, right? So that they too can experience the life that we experience. Matthew 28, 18 through 19. It's a great commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son of the Holy Spirit, and listen to this, teaching them or sharing with them to observe everything I have commanded you. Right, so we don't just internalize those commands. We then relay those commands. We then share those with other parts of the body and parts yet to be of the body. And so in short, to be rooted in Scripture means to absorb the word, anchor ourselves to the word, store the word, and share the word. So I'll just take a moment to ask, are you rooted in Scripture? Are you rooted in Scripture? Does this describe your life this morning? And if not, my hope is not that you would just feel guilt or shame, but that, but that you would feel hope that you can be. Uh, we've defined what it means to be rooted in Scripture. Now I'm going to talk about why it's important to hopefully build up your desire either to be for the first time or, or, or to continue to be rooted in Scripture. And then we're going to close with some very practical applications for how we all can be rooted in Scripture. That leads us to the second question, why should we be rooted in Scripture? Well, first of all, that history lesson that we gave, that should be as convincing a reason as any to see the influence and impact of God's Word from Genesis all the way through the early church and today's church should be reason why we should want to root ourselves in Scripture. But let me briefly answer in another way. In my intro, I proposed that there were four kind of ways that can help us know what words to listen to, what words to place highest value on. Uh, it was the authority from which they come, the, the intimacy of the relationship in which they come, the truthfulness of the words, uh, as well as the goodness of the words. And let's look at those four things in, in, light of, in light of God's word. So number one, the authority of who says the word. Church, there is no greater authority than the God of the universe. The one who created you and rules over you as definer of good and evil, but not just definer of good and evil, the judge of good and evil, and the one who will carry out your punishment for disobeying his words. That's the greatest authority there is, right? Any person you might disobey or not listen to, I'm not saying it won't have no impact, but in comparison to the impact of disobeying God's word, it might as well be no impact. Yet how often do we stress and panic about not following through on a work deadline or 
or, or, or not doing something your spouse asks you to do. And I'm not saying you shouldn't do those things. I'm just saying how much more should we desire to, to do the thing that God has asked, given that he has way more authority over our life than anyone else who exists in this life, right? He has far and away the most authority. Psalm 135.6 says, all that Yahweh desires, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and in all the depths, right? Greatest authority. So we ought to want to root ourselves in what he says. Second thing, the intimacy of the relationship that we have. There exists no better, no more personal, no more intimate opportunity for relationship than what we have available to us by God, right? Anyone in here who's had a boss or who's had an authority figure in your life knows that just because they have authority over your life doesn't make them good or doesn't make you close, right? But chances are, right, the boss that you've had that's like your favorite or the best is the one that you could just kind of go to about stuff. Uh, you, they were your friend, they, you were close with them. And so you didn't want to just obey because if you didn't, there'd be consequences, but you did because you also had a relationship with them. Right? And the greater that relationship is, the more that you're just going to want to hear their words and value their words and, and understand their words and do what they say, right? Jeremiah 9, 24 says, But only in this must the one who boasts, boast that he has insight and that he knows me. Right? This God that is all authoritative over your life is knowable. It says that I am Yahweh, showing loyal love, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for in these things I delight. He delights to have relationship with you and I. It's the most personal and intimate relationship that could exist. And so he's the most authoritative. He has the mo- offers the most personal relationship. What about the truthfulness of the words of Scripture? Church, no one's words are as true as God's. In, a, in an age of relative truth and personal truth, right, God's word is the absolute truth. Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of humankind that he should change his mind. Has he said, and he will not do it? And has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? Hebrews 6, 18, in order that, that through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, it is impossible for the words of God to be untrue, we who have taken refuge may have powerful encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We may be encouraged to know that God's words are true. And then lastly, not just are they true, but are they good? They could be true and be bad, but are they true and good when no words exist that are better or more good than God's? Psalm 119, 103 through 105 says, How smooth are your words to my palate, more than honey in my mouth. From your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every falsehood. Your words a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. Way back in Jewish culture, and even in some cases today, when Hebrew boys who were first entering into Hebrew school to hopefully become rabbis, on their very first day, and keep in mind, back in this day and in the time of of Jesus, uh, when a lot of these words were written, uh, those boys were very poor. It was any and everybody. They were coming from a very poor background, and they would give them honey on their first day there, uh, which was a not for us we could just you know go buy honey for, for them that was a a very valuable thing and they would have them taste it on the first day as a lesson to say that that god's word is even sweeter than this god's word is even better than this why because it offers us eternal life it offers us eternal opportunity in relationship with god and so god is the ultimate authority right god is the ultimate personal relationship we can have his words are perfectly true his words are perfectly good and so of course we should want to be rooted in his words above anyone else's words which then all of this leads us to a final very important question how can we be rooted in scripture now i have a few practical applications but i want to share them in the same way that we talked about last year because every core value that we go through in this series we're going to use it as an opportunity to take inventory of us as a church, right? How have we been rooting ourselves in God's word, right? But also, what are some goals and things we can do to continue to root ourselves in God's word? But then also extend a challenge to us as individuals to do the same thing. Take inventory of your life, right? How can you praise God for how he's spoken to you through his word? 
but how can you also grow and continue to root yourself more deeply in his word? So let's start with, let's just take a moment to celebrate um, how God has revealed this in our own church. I don't know if you guys realize this, but, but this year, 2022, we finished our year-long Bible reading plan. Uh, some of you may be new since then, actually, but we spent a whole year um, reading God's word together and preaching through the different parts of it together. And we finished this year, um, which is kind of crazy to think about. That's how we kind of began our year was by finishing a year-long study through all of God's word, Genesis to Revelation, right, which is a, a, an awesome, unique thing. We can celebrate that God took us through this whole word. We then, for those of you who remember, we did a four-week missions study, which was really neat, where we had people come in. Uh, all, of our mission, all of our local missions and global missions partners came here, and we celebrated and rooted ourselves in God's word, God's word together to look at what God's word says about global missions, what it says about local missions, what it says about individual mission, as well as church mission. We then spent five weeks looking at an Easter, the Easter prophecy. We looked at five different scriptures. There were prophetic things that were to happen that were fulfilled in Jesus' death and resurrection. We then spent, uh, we did a 16-week study of 1 Corinthians. I think we did it over the course of 17 or 18 weeks, took a couple breaks, but spent 16 weeks looking at one book of the Bible. So we had a whole bird's-eye view of the whole Bible. Then we had an up-close view of 1 Corinthians. We then did a seven-week study of the parable teachings of Jesus. And we then, are, or currently, we're in a six-week core value study. We're going to end the year with two-week Christmas study about Jesus' birth. And there's been many standalones along the way and in between. And every time, right, the hope has been that we're, everyone else aside, we've had, I think, three different people preach. No, four different people preach. Um, and every time, it's not about who's speaking or teaching. It's about God's word and God's word only. So, man, what a celebration that we've gotten to see God through his word in all those different ways over the last year. Uh, what a celebration. And, and that leads me to um, what I want to do <clears throat> or what one of our goals isn't really the right word, but one thing that, that we can do to continue to root ourselves to God's word. Um, for many of us, God's word can seem a little intimidating it can seem, because it's an old book, it can seem irrelevant, maybe. Um, and so what we're going to do is we have these cards uh, that I have up here. And when you leave, we are going to ask that you take one. Uh, ask if Clayton would kind of stand by the door and hand you one of these on your way out. And all this little card says, it says, what does the Bible say about dot, dot, dot? And then there's a big old space. And on the bottom, it's got a place for your name. And what we'd like to do uh, as, as a church is we would like to, to look to God's word for whatever questions you may have, right? And so that can be a question about a particular verse in the Bible, a question about a topic that's very relevant in the world, um, whatever it might be. And we're going to ask that you just fill that out. And the only reason we have the name part on there is because if we get 100 different answers, we may not actually be able to go through all 100 However, if your name's on there, we'll at least go to you to have a conversation to teach and talk about it. And so we're going to ask that everybody takes one. This may shape our whole next year, or it may shape a series um, but on how we approach God's word next year as a church. And so just outside those doors, when you leave, grab one of these. You don't have to fill it out today. We won't be starting to study on any of these anytime super soon. But then there will be a box over there that you can just fold it and drop it in or just drop it in unfolded. Um, and then we have enough to where I would even encourage you to give these to non-Christians you know and, and say, what questions do you have, right? And then invite them to church the day that we talk about the thing that they're unsure of in the Bible. Um, because we know that God's word tells us everything that God wishes to communicate about himself to us. And so we're going to spend however long it takes, making sure that we collectively as a church believe that, know that, and can answer some of those questions together. And so make sure you get one of those when you leave. So that's kind of what we're wanting to do as a church, celebrating the ways that we've kind of looked at it in the past year, but also wanting to answer everyone's questions as we go forward. What about individually? 
how can we individually root ourselves in Scripture? Now, I can't answer the question for you of how you have done that or how God has allowed you to root yourself in his word. And so I encourage you to reflect and, and genuinely ask. And the thing with all these core values is none of us are going to be able to say, yep, I did that perfect. I don't have to grow in that at all. Right? All of us have room to grow, right? but we can still celebrate. the. Maybe it's a study you did. Maybe it's a revelation you had on a certain topic. Maybe it's uh, having encouraged someone in your family to read with you. Uh, whatever it might be, but I encourage you to celebrate and praise God for the ways that he has allowed you to root yourself in his word, which we clearly have defined that as more than anything else. Um, but then here's, but so that's for the personal celebration, for the personal goals or for the personal growth. I want to just present four things very quickly on things that I think can help um, us root ourselves in scripture. They're not overly profound. Um, the first one is, Read the Bible. Uh, and that might sound like a crazy buildup just to say that, but it starts with reading his word. And what I would say is be strategic with how you read his word. Use a Bible reading plan if you need to. Um, we're so strategic as a people with so many different things, with um, you know groceries. We got our whole meals planned out about the whole week with our budget. We know what's going to what for a whole month out. Right, but for some reason with the Bible, it's like we just pick it up and kind of flip to whatever. Right? Have a plan. Be strategic. Know when you're going to read. Know what you're going to read. Right? And that's not to say that God might not lead you in some other ways. Um, but be, be prepared. And so in a way to help you, we're actually going to have, I'm going to ask Pastor Brett um, before we close to go out. We've got a table that's going to be just outside those doors that's going to have, I think, six different Bible reading plans on it. Uh, I think three of them are, three or four of them are, no, three of them are books that it's a reading plan first and foremost, but there is a book of commentary along with the readings to help guide you. And then there's three that are uh, just reading plans um, that are all a little bit different. One's chronological, one's kind of half chronological, one has four readings every day and only 25 readings in a month. And so we would just encourage you to go out, look at those resources. Um, the books, we don't have enough for everybody, but just really meant to be to look at to see if it's something you'd want to do. Um, the papers, we do have plenty of if you want to just grab one of those. But I encourage you guys, just prayerfully consider how can you read God's word strategically, um, not just next year, although that's a good time to start, but even now. How can you begin reading God's word? And we would recommend a Bible reading plan. Um, the second thing, second practical application is read with somebody else. Right? If you just kind of pick a plan and say, I'm just going to do this all alone, um, we're way less likely to actually continue it. Um, there's so many studies show that when people make a New Year's resolution, right, if they make it with other people or make it public, they're significantly more likely to follow through. And so bring someone with you, whether it's a spouse, whether you're reading the same thing or not, just in some way, including a friend, family member, somebody, Bible group teacher, in to do it alongside you because we're all going to have times where we go and then we're, we're a weekend and then we say you know what I'm, I'm not doing this anymore right and we need the encouragement for someone to keep us going uh, thirdly scripture memory scripture memory um, the way that I would encourage it is from something you've read that stood out to you make a plan to memorize it could be one verse a week one verse a month can't tell you if you and it could be so many simple ways, but even if you just said, you know what, I'm not going to listen to music in my car, I'm just going to memorize a verse, you'd be surprised at how many verses you can memorize just in the time that you're just driving anyway, right? Or, or whatever that kind of free time is for you um, to just focus on, memorize, storing God's word up in your heart. And then lastly, I'm going to go ahead and invite the worship team to come up. As, <clears throat> this is really the last thought I've got is, is the idea of learning as you share. Um, I'll tell a quick little story. When I was um, taking a, a math class, hardest math class I ever took, I was a math major before I switched. And, um, and I, to be fully transparent, I failed every test I took until the final. Uh, it was such a hard class. And I went to the professor and I said, hey, what can I do? <laughs> Um, and he said, whatever grade you get on the final exam, I'll give you in the class. And sure enough, I got a B on the final. I hadn't got a B on any class. And I went to him and I was just like, 
thank you. Um, and he said what he found is that sometimes when you, when you go beyond, when you go to step three or step four, it helps you understand steps one, two, and three. Right? And so I think the same thing applies for us as we're trying to understand God's word. You know, we will understand it better as we share it with the people around us. And that's not to say don't make definitive statements about things you don't yet know. Right? But sometimes we're guilty of saying, I can't share God's word yet because I don't know enough. Share what you do know. So I love about the Great Commission when it says, teach them to observe the things I have commanded you. It doesn't say teach them to observe every single thing there is to observe, right? But the things that I've commanded. So, one, a desire to be in God's word. Hopefully you felt a, an understanding of its importance in the history of God's people and to now and how easily accessible it is. And so what we're going to do is, as, as we're going to do every week, is I'm going to pray. And, and one, I want to make the invitation, as we always do every week, that if none of this has made any sense to you, right, because you don't know God, you've not surrendered your life to him, uh, my hope and prayer is that you would first surrender your life to his lordship, um, to the one who loved you so much. He didn't just make you, um, but he redeemed you when you sinned and did bad things against him and offered you hope for salvation and ascended into heaven, giving you a hope for eternity. And if you've never experienced that, I'm going to be at the front, and we would love for you to respond by coming forward. Um, but whether that's you or not, we all must respond today. right? God's word isn't just something that happened and is written down and just kind of ceases. It's living and active and breathing, right? useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking. And so my hope and prayer is as we go in this time of worship, that you would use that as an opportunity for self-reflection. And continue to do so. Am I rooted in God's word? Right? Or am I rooted in other things? Am I taking God's word most valuable? Am I weighing them the most? Or am I listening a little bit more to, to political channels? Right? Or Netflix shows? Right? Or social media? Right? None of which are innately sinful. But are we weighing them more than God's word? Let's, let's collectively take inventory as God's church. And let's seek to grow and do better. And again, there's no shame because ultimately we're always going to be growing and doing better. And if you've got questions or thoughts, um, before you leave, write those down. And we want to help you. Not that I have all the answers, but we can go to God and figure them out. And so I'm going to pray and just know that this next time is a time of reflection, uh, both in celebrating the way God has spoken to us, but also just discerning how he would continue speaking to us. So I'm going to pray and know that you've been invited to respond this morning. God, we love you. Lord, we love you so much. And we thank you for, we thank you for who you are. We thank you, God, that you have chosen to communicate yourself to us primarily in a way that we can understand, that we can hear, and that we can read and we can learn and practice and know. And I just pray, God, that you would give every person in here just a desire to know what you have to say to us, to internalize it, to cling to it, to cherish it far more than we would a love note, to follow it far greater than we would the directions of an authority, to believe it as, as ultimate and absolute truth far more than we do any other relative truth that, that comes into our, our world. And we would know that it is good, far better than anything this world has to offer. And so God, in these next moments, help us to celebrate all the ways you've already spoken to us. And then give us a discernment to know how you'd like to continue speaking to us through your word. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We give you this time of response. We just ask that you would do with it what you will. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship this morning together.
should be grateful. You should have gratitude. And there's so many times where I find myself, especially this week, I found myself reading and I found myself praying. And I was just like, man, I, I would ask for all these things. I would be asking God for all of these things. And I just didn't take the time just to say thank you. So maybe let's just take this time and let's just take time just to say thank you and just to be grateful for all that God has done for us. got nothing new how could I express all my gratitude I could sing these songs as I often do every song must you again and again cause all that I have is a hallelujah hallelujah I know it's not much I'm nothing else fit for a king except for a heart singing hallelujah got one response I've got just one move with my arms stretched wide I will worship you so I throw up my hands and praise you again and again cause all that I have is a hallelujah, hallelujah. I know it's not much, I'm nothing else fit for a king, except for a heart singing Lift up your voices here. So come on, my soul. Don't you get shy on me. Lift up your song. Cause you've got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. So come on, my soul. Don't you get shy on me, lift up your song. You've got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. One more time. So come on, my soul. Don't you get shy on me, lift up your song. You've got a lion inside of those lungs. Get up and praise the Lord. So I throw up my hands and praise you again and again. Cause all that I have is a hallelujah, hallelujah. I know it's not much. I'm nothing. 
church family. I don't know about you, but I love seeing people respond to God's words. Um, I can't bring about a reaction that way. No person could, no sports team can, um, but God's words, uh, they just, they bring life. And I hope and pray that you felt that this morning. Um, I hope and pray that you're committed to continue that as you leave um, by committing to root yourselves in God's word, not just you as an individual, but you alongside a church family. And so uh, I'm going to pray. We're going to close our time as it's the, the most exciting part of the service, right? We get to hear all of God's word and we get to go share God's word. Uh, we get to be the, the sharers of the good news. Um, but before I forget, um, um, box collection still going. I didn't count this morning, but we had almost half of our goal, which was 100. Uh, we've still got four more boxes over here. Uh, the final collection day is next Sunday. Um, we're going to take them on Monday um, over to the collection drop-off. Uh, if for some reason you're not able to that day, let me know, and we can maybe still work something out. But um, let's just continue doing that. Uh, something so little can have such a far-reaching impact. And so... Love to see those four boxes gone this morning. If God's leading you to grab another one, please do. Um, and then also just wanted to end with last announcement saying just thanks to fellowship with one another, whether we host a cookout or not, um, to reach more people in your community, just as we seek to do in our church community. And so with all that, I'm going to pray. Uh, make sure you grab one of those cards. Clayton will be just by the door. And then take a look at those resources. We'll leave them up for quite a while, uh, at least till the end of the year. Um, and just begin praying how God might have you encounter him through his word. So let me pray and then we'll, we'll be dismissed.